There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. One of the best things about doing the My Millennial Money podcast is when I get to travel all around Australia and meet other people just like you who listen to the show. Today, I'm joined by a listener, a long-time listener of the show, John. John's in Brisbane, and he's not your typical millennial. John is a little bit north of the millennial border, but his experience in life and his interest in personal finance will make a great episode for you to listen to today. So today, I'm joined by listener John. He's been to our Brisbane shows, the last two Brisbane shows, and we're going to have a great chat. We'll be answering your questions. My name's Glenn James. You're listening to My Millennial Money. John, welcome to My Millennial Money. It's great to have you on the show finally. Thanks, Glenn. It's good to see you too. Welcome to Brisbane. Thank you, mate. Now, if you are hearing a little bit of background noise, we're just in a bit of a common area at the Western in Brisbane. Uh, my room wasn't ready, so I couldn't get John up to my room. And that, hey, <laughs> don't raise your eyebrows at me, John. Um, but uh, look, you will hear a little bit of background noise, and that's why we are on location today. John, just tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and maybe more your current situation in life, what you do, what you don't do, and we'll then get into some questions. Well, Glenn, um, the oldest man you know, I'm 66. My children range from age from 38 to uh, eight, going on nine. Yeah. I've uh, reached financial independence probably just before the GFC, and then I have a, a daughter who was born then, with, and she has some, uh, some challenges in life. So my commitment was to make sure that she had the best life. Mm. Uh, and this was before the NIS was even thought about, so uh, yeah. it all fell back on us. Yeah. So these days I've hit the target again and I spend my time doing the things that I want to do. I'm a bit of a dance dad, take my, my youngest daughter to dance classes a couple of days a week. Uh, my, uh, I'm the treasurer of the school PNC, which uh, is almost a million-dollar enterprise. Wow. So, uh, and um, just generally enjoying life. I yeah. spend a lot of time talking to people and just getting on with it. Yeah. Now, you do have um, your two older children from a first marriage. Yes, I've got two boys, uh, 38 and 34. Yeah. And then the two girls from a 17-year-old yeah. and a uh, eight-year-old. Wow. You That's- must have a full life. <laughs> Some days, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, it's a good life, so. Now, what would you say your trade is or your occupation outside of the PNC and being dance dad? Oh, Glenn, I've done many things in my time. Uh, I've been a soldier. I've been a footman for the governor. Um, I've been a construction worker. But I spent 28 years working in government. And uh, it was great because I worked for a large organisation in government. And I was pretty much able to move around and change jobs every couple of years. So, uh, yeah, it was good. Yeah. Um, I went back to school when I was in my 40s and did an accounting degree. So um, that's probably my trade, though I was a dogman as well. So that's another trade. What's a dogman? A dogman uh, is the person on the ground that uh, directs the cranes to uh, to lift right, lift loads up on, onto buildings. Yeah. Much, yeah. So it's, it's a bit more in, involved mm. in it. In the old days, we used to blow a whistle. Yeah. Um, but now they do it with walkie-talkies. It's interesting you say that you went back to school at age 40. Like if there's anyone listening at the moment who might be in their late 30s or early 40s, nothing is ever too late until you're really in that casket. Exactly right, Glenn. Yeah. You know, never, ever give up. Mm. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, My first date with my current wife, I walked down uh, Elizabeth Street, just out the front here on a Friday night and uh, every second person in the street knew me from school. It was a, an interesting evening. Yeah. <laughs> she said to me, is there anyone in prison you don't know? Yeah. How long have you been in Pris Vegas? Uh, so 
we lived in Dolby, first of all. I was born in Victoria. Uh, then we came to Queensland, went to Dolby. My, and uh, then I was probably in year seven when we came to Brisbane. Lived here most of my life. Uh, went to work in Canberra for from the first day of spring till the last day of autumn. And uh, yeah, other than that, I've, I've been here. Yeah, awesome. Well, there's just a bit of a snapshot of uh, John's history, life full of experience, and there's no sign of you slowing down with your learning or, or money, is there? I hope not. So, okay, and just quickly, before we get into the listener questions today, you say like you achieved financial independence, um, what, 15 years ago-ish? Yeah, 20, 15 to 20 years ago, Yeah, yes. And that meant for you that you had enough money accumulated that work was optional for the rest yeah. of your life? Yeah, I went to a, a Noel Whitaker seminar, helped a bloke move his boat for three hours, and that was three hours of education in how the stock market worked. Right. Hey, um, Georgia asks, I wanted to ask about investment versus inflation. Is it true that if the inflation rate exceeds the money that you make from the investment, then you're actually losing money? As a rule of thumb, what's a good return that ensures this doesn't happen? Thank you so much. I love the podcast. So, John, you've seen a lot of economic cycles. You've seen a lot of employment cycles. And, you know, the older I get, I'm starting to see these cycles as well. But for someone who is asking, well, what do you do? Like, what would you say to Georgia with the inflation rate? Because she, she does raise a really good point. Look, um, people are jumping up and down at the moment. It's excitement because the, the banks are paying 4% interest. Um, but, you know, while we've got inflation, the headline inflation rate being around 7%, you know, you'll, you are losing money. So... You need to take a bit of risk and um, get some of that risk return. Mm. I think what the ETFs are paying with, if you're, you know, your return consists of both growth and dividend, um, and your dividends are franked. So, you know, you're getting around 14% up to that, mm. I think. Yeah. So, I guess it depends how much you want the risk free rate, then you'll take the 4%. Um, but for that risk premium, you've got to, um, that, that's where the return is. And I think the important thing to know is uh, for Georgia and anyone asking this question, in the money world, there's an, an investment return called the real return. Yes. So if you did get a 14% return from an equity fund that year and 7% of that is inflation, you've only had a real return of 7%. That's right. So... A lot of planning in financial planning land and like really projecting out the future, you really need to factor in inflation. So here's an exercise what you could do. You know, when we are in this inflation pinch, we hope that inflation isn't 7 and 0.8% for the next four years, right? We hope that the RBA can get it back down to that target of two to three. I think in the short term, it's probably not a showstopper. We're not going to chase risky investments just for the sake of 12 months. But would you say it's more understanding that there are cycles and if you don't need the cash, it probably needs to get to work anyway? That's right. Yeah. Money needs to find a home where it does a job. Yeah. Jerry Seinfeld, you remember his old joke? He sent his money to work and it got fired. <laughs> <laughs> but um, look, I would probably say with this inflation stuff, I'm not going to try and put money in a high-risk investment at the moment just to beat inflation because we know with growth investing, it needs to be a long-term hold, right? So why would you put something in ultra high risk that could get a quote unquote 20% return or a real return of 13% if it is at risk and the inflation issue might go away within that five-year expected hold time for a return anyway? I worry at the moment I see these ads come up on the Facebook page from uh, uh, pseudo banks, uh, wanting to raise capital, uh, you know, telling you that you get a, a guaranteed return of, of 10%, like that's the holy grail. And, uh, you know, when you actually dig down deeper, there's a great deal of risk behind it. You know, um, and you, when you get the, the same return out of some diversification of risks through return out of um, ETFs and um, LICs. Yeah. So... We'll move on, but Georgia said, like, as a rule of thumb, what's a good rate of return that ensures it doesn't happen? Well, you know, I'm an investor. You're an investor. I actually, I don't chase returns when I invest. And that might be weird for some people. But all I know is, over the long term in my life, my three-point financial plan is I'm a generous giver. 
I live on less than I earn and I invest the rest. Now, the investing the arrest part is in long-term growth assets. And long-term, even if it's a seven-year period, if we look at a seven-year window, long-term or even 10 years or 20 years, I'm taking the view that that return will outdo inflation. And a one or two or three-year inflationary pinch isn't derailing me. I'm keeping my strategy, whatever economic cycles and conditions are happening. Do you want to read Simon's question? So Simon asks us, is it worth changing your superannuation investment option from high growth to mixed while share markets are down due to current geopolitical situations with Russia slash Ukraine and then timing to change back to high growth? Ooh. So in your life, John, and this is kind of a pseudo interview slash <laughs> using these questions for a discussion point, have you ever timed the market or tried to? Like what's your philosophy been? I've got a core and satellite portfolio. Yep. And um, I tell people, I think I've sold three shares in 13 years and I bought two of them back again. So, um, yeah, I've been there for the long term. Yeah. You know, I look for opportunity, but. Mm. Yeah, and I'm kind of the same. Like I got a text message today. Uh, my um, investment platform, um, I put, and this is kind of how I invest most of my money into equities, I've got a cash account on the platform and because I'm self-employed, any ad hoc money um, that might come in from a book royalty because we sell the books and I get paid book royalties, because I'm not living off that book royalty, I'll get a royalty check, give some away to charity and then just put ad hoc money like that that isn't in my day-to-day life into the investment account. Now, the cash hub on the investment platform has a float, so there's cash in there. And I got a text this morning, every Wednesday, I invest in two ETFs automatically every week. So my investing happens weekly, dollar cost averaging, and then I'm just topping up that pot of money with ad hoc money from my life. Now, what's that got to do with Simon's question? Well, similar to the last question, we've got to pick our strategy for the long term based on the merits of the strategy, not on external factors. Yes. And look, to be honest, I think that uh, Simon's missed that boat in any case to look at a change now. So just stay the course. Yeah, because it's a bigger discussion about from high growth to mixed. So mixed is being more conservative and then back to high growth. I think you just need to reset what your risk profile is for your superannuation over the next 20 years or at the moment. And this one I'll bounce off you, John. Like you've heard my podcast for a few years now. You've heard me crap on every time I pick up a microphone. Your current age, 66, that's no longer old. When your parents were 66, when my great-grandparents and grandparents were 66, that was old. You're now in the lifestyle years, right? Yes. You're doing the school runs. You're, you know doing the PNC. Bought the caravan. You got the caravan. So you're still young, healthy and all that. I hypothesize anyone under 50 years old categorically should, in brackets, get advice, close brackets, have their superannuation in growth because you categorically can't touch that money until age 60, number one. And I'm being facetious and all that when saying should – but get advice before you do anything. But to my point, John, when someone turns 60, it's not magically take my investments and put to cash. Your money's still got to work for the next 20 or 30 years. So it needs to be invested still. Whenever I hear that formula, you know, that you should have your age in cash. It's the worst. It's just, it scares the death out of me. You know, my money's working every 24 hours a day. I'm not drawing down capital. Mm. So... What uh, John said there, there is this old wives' tale that says, as a rule of thumb, if you're 40 years old, you should have 40% of your asset allocation in defensive assets. It's the worst advice on the planet. Now, I think there's a couple of carve-outs for someone who, like my parents, we'll use my parents as an example. Uh, My parents, because your eldest son is the same age as me, my mum and dad is 68, 69. Actually, my sister texts me about planning my mum's 70th. So we've got to do that. So obviously 70 this year. Maybe I'm out of touch with their age. But they've just, quote unquote, retired from the workforce. The lion's share of their money 
is invested into growth assets because they understand it. There is a pool of money in their superannuation though that is in cash and term deposits. So they've got a weekly payment that comes out. So if the markets do have a bit of a downturn, they've got two or three years of cash that they can just keep drawing down and they don't have to sell down their assets. So I I just think these life stage options in super, I get why they've done it to protect people and all that if their eyes are off the ball. But if you understand investing and how assets work, when you turn 60, when you're over 50, your money still needs to work because when you retire, you don't just draw it down into your bank account. And you've probably got another 25, 30 years to live. Exactly. Yeah. So, no, that's a, that's a good one there. Fever asks a question, and maybe you can share what you've done, John, around uh, the private health insurance. How to learn more about choosing a private health insurance company and also car insurance? So, what's your bit of a house view for your life around health insurance and car insurance? So, I've always had private health insurance since my oldest boy was born and it's just been something that I've paid. It's been like, you know, the, the, one of the first things just comes out of my bank and I forget about it. Um, has it been good value for me? Um, it's been there and I've known I could fall back on it. I, I have my um, health insurance through a uh, fund that I get through my university alumni and it's a, a pretty good deal. We can uh, draw down more than we pay in premiums with my size family, mm. um, just in extra cover, mm. so that it's basically a freebie. Um, car insurance, I've always had my cars comprehensively insured. I've dealt with the same insurer for 15 years. I, every time the, the renewal notice comes in, I ring around and uh, compare them with the other people in the market. So far, they've been the most competitive. Yeah, I think the... I'll start with my view on car insurance. Sure, check it every year if you need to move change. But my underlying thing with insurance, provided you're not getting blatantly ripped off, time with an insurance company is your friend. Because if there's a curly claim or something weird, it could get elevated to a claims assessor's desk and they go, oh, they've been a customer, a loyal customer for 10 years, sort it. And I've actually seen that before. You're exactly right. That's the most – if you jump and change every year, and I work, as you know, in the billing industry, body corporate industry, yeah. um, I've put through claims that people come – the tenant's been in the unit for five years and uh, not reported to them the, that they've flooded the place, for example. And when they move out and the owner comes in, they want to make an insurance claim for all the damage that's occurred while the tenant's there. If you've been at the same insurance company, it's a simple matter. So uh, yeah. that's, that's one of the benefits of it. Yeah, but uh, the caveat is like, you know, if it's real money and you can make the call what real money is in your own life. But for me, with my car insurance, like I've been with NRMA, I think forever, which is IAG. They've paid so many claims because I've been hit and I've hit things and they've been great. Now, one of the cars I've actually just moved to JO because for that type of car and that make and that model... I really wasn't prepared to pay an extra four hundred dollars. Yeah. So for me, the real money threshold in my life was yes. probably over three hundred dollars a year. But within a couple of hundred dollars either side, I'm happy to be a little bit loyal. But that's just my view. With health insurance, there's a website called privatehealth.gov.au. I hate all the comparison websites I select. I would never in a million years recommend anyone go to iSelect. It's I curated. Use, yeah, it's curated, but also I know some people that have had some serious, serious issues with that organization. Uh, and I don't like to name and shame brands on this podcast unless you're Afterpay and iSelect. But I would just say with um, your private health insurance, someone asked me the other day, they sent an email in to you know ask a question on the show, private health insurance. What I generally do is you can go to the government website, which they have their own comparison filter. And I like it because it's not a commercial website. They're not trying to get affiliate commission and do all the dickery. What I've generally found for my life, I've been with Booper since 2003, right? So coming up 20 years. Every now and again, I come up for air and do a quote. The like for like for my situation is generally the same-ish. So this is one of the things where... Just do some individual quotes, get as much like for like as possible, make a judgment call. And if you are insured, 
ring up your insurer for health insurance and ask them to give you the same deal as they give to new customers. Yeah, so, yeah it doesn't hurt yeah. to ask. So look, I think when it comes to health insurance and car insurance, you've just got to come up for air, do some research. Your life and uh, disability insurance, speak to your financial advisor. Um, they're not ones that you're wanting to chop and change every year due to the type of contracts that they are and the medically underwriting type vibe. Um, like for me, right, I, I'm, I'm a decline for any further disability insurance because of health history. So I've got my insurance to the grave now. Yes. So yep. life and income insurance, I'll carve that out. Speak to your advisor. Hey, there's a question here from Vesna. How to transfer an investment property to one of your children without paying a fortune in fees? <laughs> I would say with great difficulty. <laughs> yeah, well, my answer is a bit extreme because um, I think they may have to wait a while because um, the only way that I know that can happen without uh, paying too many fees is uh, if you pass it to them in your will. Yeah, yep. So realistically, and this is, have you heard over the years, John, where people say, I've got three kids, I want to buy an investment property each, one for each kid and then I just think it's got to build wealth in your life Yes. and when the time comes to help your kids out, make a judgment call. Yes. Like you and I both wear glasses. If you had two kids, just because you buy one glasses that needs it, doesn't mean you're going to buy the other kid a pair of glasses or spend $200 on something just because that kid – Like, So I just think you need to build wealth – and have strong financial foundations in your life. And then when the time comes, then you can work out around gifting. Now, there are some caveats like you might really want to do it five years before you go on age pension Centrelink, to get around the gifting clause because they'll claw back that as an asset. But strictly speaking, realistically, how to transfer an investment property to one of your children without paying a fortune in fees? Well, you won't need agent's fees. You'll probably need a contract of sale through a solicitor. yes. There will be stamp duty for the That's right. you child. Can't escape that. Unless it's a first home for them. Maybe, yeah. And it's a state based thing. Yes. Uh, but realistically, and then Vesna, you know, you will have your own tax event as well. Yes. Um, because you could not sell, you couldn't sell it for a dollar. There'd be. It's got to be market price. It's got to be disposal yeah. of an asset. Yeah. Triggered a capital gain event. Yep. So speak to your accountant, and you might be a little bit strategic in the timing. But ultimately, if your children don't want the property, I'm happy to take it off your hands and pay your tax liability. <laughs> I just remember, Glenn, it'll be your children that choose where you spend your old age. Well, yeah, there you go. That's a good one. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Radio, we are back. This community segment is brought to you by Sky Wealth. You've told us that the number five, I think, 
top five things that you want to do this year is to sort out your life and income insurance, you can head to sky.com.au forward slash MMM. Have a chat with the team. We'll put a link in the show notes to their recent webinar that they did. And you can just learn more about protecting your most important asset, which is you and your family. So thanks, Sky Wealth, for bringing us this community segment of the week. We asked you in the Facebook group, what's your greatest weakness at work? Last week, we asked the greatest strength. So we're flipping it now and we're asking the greatest weakness. Do you want to read some of them, John? Sure, Glenn. Ada uh, says that her greatest weakness is a snack drawer. (laughs) I don't think she's alone there. How, like, remember when you used to work in corporate, that 3 p.m. coffee snack? It was just so good. You were still at work at 3 (laughs) p.m. Maybe. Melody said, giving attitude to management. (laughs) Have you ever told a boss to shove it? No, I think that I've always left on reasonably good terms, basically because I might have to come back there sometime. Mm. So you don't burn your bridges? Yeah, you don't burn your bridges and, you know, they're the person that's going to be asked to give you a reference for the next place you go to. Yeah. To I don't burn my bridges either. I blow but them up. The other side of it is if, if you do live under a cloud, then don't just take it and, and wear it. Go and talk to a HR lawyer and find out how you can, you know, it's mm. a bit like a credit, a bad credit rating. Mm. How do you clean up your credit rating? ask how you clean up your employment history as well. Yeah, no, that's good. And we actually address all that stuff in the the new career book, Sort Your Career Out. Sent it to my son just last week. Oh, you did? Oh, thanks for that. It'll be interesting to see how he finds it. Martin said procrastinating. Ash said analysis paralysis. Just start it. Yeah, just start it. Any other ones there that you can see? Um, Confidence is a big one. Mm. You know, um, that's something that I've probably felt that I suffered from self-doubt mm. over a number of years. But I also say, you know, you're often your own worst critics and people don't see you with the same lens as what you see yourself. Yeah. Yeah, so Wendy said that confidence was an issue, but also the same thing as uh, Georgina said, that imposter syndrome. Um, you're not alone. Everyone gets it. It's just, you know, it's wild. Chrissy said short attention span and she did the emoticon claps during it. And we'll finish with um, Daniel. Can you see Daniel's one there? Daniel says high expectations of others. Mm. That's, um, That's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Like, you know, we just talked about the career book. What I um, said as the part I did in Mindset Chapter was about not putting your own emotional expectations on other people because they'll never be able to meet that. But I think it's also when it comes to work in your career, the number one person who cares about you and your career is that person in the mirror. No one else cares as much. So you've just got to know, no one's going to have the same level of expectations that you put on them. The best uh, bosses that I've had, I can think of two of them. One fellow was a bloke with George Palmer and he's was uh, on the cover of Peter Fitzsimon's Kokoda Trial book. Right. Um, hey, George, if you're listening. George has passed now. He was a lovely, lovely <laughs> He's man. He's certainly not listening. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but George just just tell you what needed to be done and leave you to do it. Yeah. Um, and my other boss, he had on the wall the rules of the game. Read the rules, learn the rules, and I'll leave you alone. And we all got the job done. And we were the best team. Mm. So, yeah. you know, I think you can micromanaging to your own detriment. Yeah, and I think knowing your own weaknesses is such a good starting point for your life and career and even your spending and investing, right? Yes, yes. So there we go. Well, we'll bump out of this segment. Thanks to Sky Wealth for helping us with the community segment of the week. You can learn more, sky.com.au forward slash MMM. Please just book in a 15-minute conversation to see how they can help you protect your family and your income. Patina said, how do we encourage our children kids in their early 20s into understanding the need and how to get them excited about the need to invest for their future. Maybe it's a combination of semi-instant gratification and long-term strategies. So, you know, you're collecting children, you know, you've got four of them. Yes, thank you. Um, And, you know, how have you done this with your kids? Look, I've always had a side hustle on the way and and generally my side hustles have grown into real businesses. Uh, My Kids have watched me meet with clients. They've been to job sites, etc., etc. We talked about money at the dinner table. 
I think nowadays it's really important that you let your kids handle cash and not just cards mm. because you know, when they've got to save up for something and they get the cash each fortnight for the jobs that they do, then they, they, they have a more of a sense of having achieved something. And it's too easy with the card. My daughter who's 17 um, with the, who, who's disabled, she just walks up to the to the um, self-serve machine with whatever she wants and um, flashes the card and, mm. and the money's there. So she doesn't have that sense of, of effort to purchase things. Yes. And, you know, a bit of set, sweat equity is good for, uh, mm. for kids. My younger daughter washes the cars for... Uh, for her pocket money, she saves the uh, soft drink cans and the you know the bottles and the recyclables. And before the school holidays, we take them down to the recycle set, and that's her money for the holidays. So it's just giving them a sense of of earning, mm. and um, you know, financial education is really important. Yeah, and it's I think this whole thing is the age appropriateness, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So what did you do with the boys in their twenties? Oh, so my my oldest boy when he was in his teens, wanted to buy, I think, a, a pair of rollerblades first up. And uh, we lived in a home unit building then. And I said, look outside, mate, there's 64 units. They've all got a rubbish bin sitting out the front. And so he made up a flyer and put him on his letterbox, $5 to put your bin out and bring it back in again. He had his rollerblades before he knew it. Yeah. And um, so just that thing. So, And then he's travelled the world now. He's uh, worked overseas and uh, he's got a great work ethic. And your son, he's a, um, he's a top-notch guy. Can I grab that letter? Sure. I'm going to read. Uh, John printed a letter that his son wrote to him and it is one, two, three, four and a half pages long. I'll read the first paragraph and then I will read the last little bit because it's just give, you know, a bit of a humanity and insight to, to John's life. And just can you maybe without you know, giving away state secrets and all your personal laundry or whatnot, what was the climate or the rationale in your son writing this letter to you? Um, my son wrote me this letter at a time in my uh, life where um, you know, things weren't going the best and um, he, I, um, I need a bit of a, a pick-up and a reminder that of the, the good things that, that had happened through the years and um, it really touched me that he remembered a lot of the things mm. and that, you know, our, our kids remember things that we probably uh, are mundane to us or the, and, uh, but they're really important to them. So, How old do you think he was when he wrote this to you? Um, oh, he would have been in his, in his 30s, so yep. probably 34. Yep. So it's a collection of memories of, of life with dad. And yeah. All right. Well, to my father, it's easy for me to write this in a letter with time to consider the words. Marriage has been a struggle for you in the past few years. Each time you have visited us, it has been evident that home life is taking a toll on your physical and mental health. As the situation comes to a head, I expect the hard days may become more frequent before less. With that in mind, I put together this letter to reflect on our life and remind you the good times of the past and those that are yet to come. And then uh, your son here went through a whole heap of memories and then... I'll, I'll read the last little bit because he gave some, some good advice. And in finishing, he said, over the next few months, this transition will present challenges. I want to ensure that I've said a few things. You have my unconditional love and support. We support your fight for fairness through this process. I want you to have a good and long retirement. You've worked hard for a long time. The sacrifices you have made for your children and family are valiant. You are a good person. You care about people and are non-judgmental. You contribute to the communities you are a part of that you should be proud of. Your legacy is much more than your net worth. It's the impact you've had with your family, friends, and your community. Whatever happens, uh, and he mentions his brother, and I have what we need to live a good life that you have provided us already and we are grateful for. Some advice, look after your mental and physical health. Use the gym and start small, finish big, like you did with the business. Eat healthy, fruit, vegetables, lean meats, and not too much alcohol, lots of water. <laughs> I need to send this letter to me. Sleep when you can. Talk to a professional psychologist regularly. If you have not already, write down a bucket list. Be ambitious. Call your sons regularly. Floss. We are here. We love you always from your son. So thanks for letting us share some of that. I mean, we're talking about, you know, instilling things into kids and particularly around instant gratification and long-term strategies. Any comments from that letter that you want to just share? 
I think um, probably the one we we have a great life. Mm. You know, we uh, we look after one another, and um, if you take on one of us, you take on all of us. Yeah. Gaya says, "How do you guys keep track of expenses? <sighs> Excel app." Any recommendations and why it is useful? I also don't want to pay for another Apple service. So how do you keep track of expenses and how do you manage money in your own life? So remember I said I'd get even earlier, Glenn? Yes. So yes. this is my answer to you. <laughs> I pay for everything by credit card. Really? I do. I have two credit cards, one marked business, the other marked personal, and I pay them off in full every month. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just a system that works for me. I'm very disciplined that way. Mm. Um, so, yeah. But for other people, like I've used the Pocketbook app, but unfortunately that app has um, fallen by the wayside. Yes. But, uh, yeah, look, what works for you? Nowadays you can you can get all your banking data, download it as a CSV file, bring it into Excel. You know, if you're smarter than me, you can probably set up some um, things to process it. Yeah, I. it's funny this. Like, you know, and there's a heap of comment in the Facebook group, you can actually search expenses and you'll see Gaia's question there and you can see what everyone else does. But like, I actually don't track expenses because it's in the past and I don't care. Yeah. I have yeah. a spending plan yes. that allows me to spend guilt-free. Now, Automate as much as you can. Exactly. So for me, and this is the this is the whole thing like, we're in a technological age, so we've got data and information everywhere. But all the data, just because it's there, it doesn't mean it's useful. Like, I don't actually care how much I blow on coffee each week because I enjoy that. It's more of a values-based system that I use. I set up my money into different accounts. You know, the Glenn James Spending Plan, we'll put a link in the show notes if you need a system to start. But I'm more looking forward. How do I keep track of expenses? Don't care. I know what's coming up-ish, you know, with my spending plan and my cash hub. I want to track what I can invest each pay cycle. That's the main thing, isn't it? It is the main thing. The only bill, is my, my advice from my experience, the only bill that you should pay manually is... Buffalo bill. No, not the buffalo bill, the water bill. Because if, if you've got a, uh, a water leak, a concealed leak underground, you can lose an awful lot of water between bills and they are... Oh, you are, wouldn't see it. Yeah. They are relentless in, in billing you for it. Yeah, that's yeah, interesting. I've seen a $10,000 water bill for three months. Jeez, gosh. But this all goes back to personal finance and what your personality is. Like if you want to know how much you spent at a cafe or the restaurant, knock yourself out, you froth on that, you're going to need some type of system. I mean, I use the Up app for my day-on-day stuff. This is the whole thing, you know, when I teach the Glenn James spending plan and, you know, getting in control of your money, it's more about the habits and behaviours and I actually think – to really nail your habits and behaviours, particularly if you're on the spender side of the spectrum, you need separate banking institutions. Like you can see here in my up account, I get paid on Fridays. I've got $173 left until payday on Friday. So, you know, I just bought lunch, we bought coffees. I'm not tracking that because I know that my system allows me, my offset account, which has all my cash hub for all my bills, I don't have access to that. It's not near me because my personality will spend it. So I think it is just about having a system that works for you. That's exactly it, yeah. Let's do two last questions. It's funny we had this question from Lily about body corporate because John is a professional body corporate manager. (laughs) Yes, that was my side hustle for a long time and it just grew and grew and grew until it became a full-time job. Mm. But look, Lily asks, is paying 4K per year on body corporate normal for an apartment one hour out of Melbourne CBD? It's in a block of 10. The apartment is two bedrooms. The building was built in 2019. There was no gym, pool or movie room. They spend 3K a year on gardening, which sounds ridiculous to me. Seeking fund has 16K in it. The body corporate suggests that there is asbestos, but they said they wouldn't get an asbestos audit. This seems like a red flag, but since when did Billings in 2019 have asbestos? That's the biggest um, <laughs> That's the biggest question there, isn't it? Yeah, that's, it is the biggest question there. And look... I as the the law around asbestos management is uh, state based, generally through the uh, the work cover in your your state. I did a quick Google search before we met today, and there's a 
a publication put out by Workplace Victoria. It's called A Step-by-Step Guide to Managing Asbestos in Workplaces. Depending on the state, generally a body corporate is considered a workplace because you have contractors coming in and that. So uh, you need to be aware of it. But the thing is that they stopped producing asbestos back in 2005. And so the chances of 2019, very unlikely. Blueboard seems to be the the product of choice these days. I mean, this is, I would probably, Lily, just send the body corporate management an email and say, can you clarify or in the minutes and if they don't know, ask the committee that, because it could have been someone that, you know, that everyone knows, everyone's a professional with everything and they've seen yes. some blue board, oh, yeah, that's asbestos. It's like, no, you're full of crap. You don't know what you're talking about. Yes, like, yes. so yeah, push back on that. I think it's unlikely but make sure it wasn't an anecdotal comment that someone made and it's been minuted. Now, John, four grand a year, like I think that seems pretty reasonable. The the sinking fund is healthy, 4K a year is, I reckon anything around 100 bucks a week is pretty good. Look, it's pretty good, yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, and I think the good fortune is that you don't have a gym, pool or movie room mm. um, because that has issues for your insurances and um, it doesn't say here whether you have a lift or not. And that's probably the, yeah, the they, most expensive. I mean, 10 apartments, so 10 it could apartments. be five each side, could be a little townhouse complex. Be, yes, yes. Um, no. But realistically, yeah. 3000 a year on gardening, I think that seems pretty reasonable. Um, even if they came once a week at $60 a week, they're not coming once a week. I think that's reasonable. I think, Lily, you're on to a good place here, to be honest. Any other anecdotal comments of that? Look, yeah, I tend to agree with you, Glenn. I think it's uh, pretty reasonable. The thing is that you're paying the future expenses of the, the body corporate up front, so there's a provision there. Yeah. Um, the sinking fund is an asset when a time comes to sell if it's healthy Yeah. because uh, when people come and do their searches and if there's nothing in the sinking fund. Yeah. Oh, she uh, said it's an apartment. So, yeah, block of 10. There yeah. should be a lift if it's single single building, wouldn't there? Perhaps, but, yeah. Would they build a – like, would they build a – even if it was five storeys, would there be a lift on a five-storey? Bit uncommon in this day and age, wouldn't they? Uh, I don't want to walk upstairs. It's more common. Yeah, it's more common to have a lift. You know, if you're a basement car park and yeah, and then um, mm. five levels of residential on top of that. But I think let's just do a little bit of you know in the ten minutes we have got left, John. Just a little bit of housekeeping on this body corporate strata stuff. I would rather you know if I live there and own a property there, I would rather the sinking fund be more healthy than it needs than get a special levy. And everyone's got to pay an extra three hundred dollars a quarter for three years to replace the roof or something. Yep. So in Brisbane, we had the floods in two thousand eleven, mm. um, and people in certain parts of Brisbane had to find a hundred thousand dollars each to pay for the replace of switchboards and lifts and stuff that were placed in in base, underground basement car parks. Yeah. So basically, what that is for those who might be new to apartments and schemes, effectively the $4,000 a year on body corporate, it's usually split up. So everyone chips in to, or do you want to explain the admin fund and the sinking fund, what the two benefits or so what the, they the are? Admin, the admin fund pays the the yearly expenses, the insurances, the man who cuts the grass, the people, the admin people. Um, safety and audits, sort of, yeah, safety fire. Audits, all yep. sort of stuff, fire, um, you know, minor repairs and maintenance around the place. Cleaning common areas. Cleaning the common areas, um, that sort of stuff. The the sinking fund is an accumulation fund to pay for the big ticket items that happen periodically. So painting the outside of the building, uh, you know, replacement of floor coverings in common areas, the roof, which, you know, after about 40 years, you have to place the roof. If you've got a lift in the, the building, lift contracts are changing now from being a more comprehensive agreement to you know, being decided on service intervals by the, the lift contractor. Mm. So your lift might have a life of 10 or 12 years before you've got to spend some serious money on it. Lifts are bloody expensive. They sure are. Lifts, air conditioning and roofs. Yes, um, but no, in short, Lily, I think you're under a good little thing there. For those looking to buy into an apartment building to live or is an investment property, make sure you get a copy of any minutes from the last yep. year or so. And look, there'll be a sinking fund forecast as well. In Queensland, at least, there's an obligation that um, 
the body corporate bases their sinking fund contributions uh, on a sinking fund forecast prepared by you know that can be prepared or you can prepare it yourself if you're that in that mind mm. it's just a plan or you can engage someone to to come and do it for you it's so funny someone in the facebook group said once like oh i don't want to buy an apartment because i don't want to pay strata as an investment i'll just buy a, a property but don't be confused if you buy an investment property you've still got to do maintenance <laughs> you've still yes. got to pay for insurance the strata is just pooled money that's right it's your money shared between the 10 owners and yeah. um and it's there i mean the only carve out would be in a normal house your tenants would mow the lawn and clean the quote-unquote common area or the driveway that's right but, but you've still got to pay for maintenance where whether it's at a, an apartment and a unit with strata or an investment property that has maintenance yes um all right let's finish with a softer qualitative question kate sarah says for those who have older kids looking at you john what are some big financial decisions you wish you had given more thought of when they were younger and maybe i don't know if you want to take this answer any way you want if you want to talk about some of your life lessons and you've got a i think you've got something written down there that you might want to read look i come from a, a large family and uh, we're all pretty close together so um i think i said to you earlier glenn you know uh, we thought that everybody got their uh, school books under the christmas tree that was how my parents gave us you know we got one present plus then school books we didn't know different you know and and, and that's just the way it was. I say don't try and keep up with the Joneses just because the kid down the street's got the latest Xbox and, you know, pester power's a terrible thing. You, mm. Your kids put it on you. I'm pretty – I'm deaf in one ear, so that um, cuts that out for me. The greatest thing you can give your kids is life experiences. So, you know, travel as much as you can. Expose them to as many things as you can. You know, my, my daughter does um, – both of them have done uh, dancing and ballet and build their confidence – you know, um, through through real things, not just, you know, every kid in the class gets a prize or whatever. Uh, get them doing things that um, will build their self-esteem up. Yeah. That's an important thing. Yeah. Any other final comments you want to make that you want to encourage anyone listening with? Look, one of the things that you often talk about, Glenn, is giving back. And that's a really important thing in my life as well. Mm. You know, we give at the grassroots level financially um, and we give a lot of time to people. And I go to the coffee shop every morning and have my cup of coffee and um, I've quite a social group there of, of people who, they, they, I'm a bit of a fixture, they come and know me. Um, You're local and, wildlife, aren't you? <laughs> well, you know, but, you know, people often, they'll sit down and, and, and they'll just have something they want to share and it might be something good and it might be something that's life's a bit tough from at the moment so I've got a listening ear mm, yeah I think that is really important because you never know what someone else is going through okay you've got a quote there that's written out what about we finish with that John look this is one that I have had up in my wall in my office and um, it's a, a quote of the from the chief of army um, Lieutenant General David Morrison, it goes, the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. That goes for all of us, but especially those who by their rank have a leadership role. Uh, and I think that that extends into every part of your life. I spent some quite a few years in the army um, and I think a lot of my time I spent encouraging people and making them believe in themselves, helping them to believe in themselves to achieve things. Um, so important. Yeah, and so if you take that quote there around the standard that you walk past, like that's kind of in that mindset stuff, you know, when I talked about for those, their career book and there's actually a photo in the new career book of me when I was 13 years old with my first job and I talked about taking ownership and I was cleaning a storeroom three days a week and that was my storeroom. It was neat. If no one else saw it, I really had a high standard for my little patch of earth, right? But in the workplace, you know, what standards are you ignoring if you lead a team? If your own personal finance, if you're not happy with how sloppy your spending is, don't accept that standard in your life. If you're not happy that you're not investing any money at the moment, don't have that standard. Even if money's tight, set the standard that I've got a little 
you know, Sharesies were a sponsor on our other investor podcast, set up a little Sharesies account and put a dollar a week in. Start to change the standard in your life that I am an investor. You put $1 a week into a micro investing app, you are an investor. Change the standard today. Good advice, Glenn. Let's leave it there, John. Let's leave it there. Thank yeah. you so much for um, coming on My Millennial Money and thanks for coming to our last two live shows in Brisbane and being part of the Facebook group and supporting everything that we do at My Millennial Money. Yeah. The one bit of advice that you gave me, Glenn, that I have to pull you up on is you, you did tell me at one of your shows to, oh God. to double park my drinks. Yes. <laughs> Did you? Well, actually, John's actually having a dry gen- uh, February. What is it, February? So maybe I caused some problems. I know. I did wait in the car for a couple of hours before I drove home. <laughs> really? Well, okay. So, like, you talked about like being generous with others and that. When we do the live events, people honestly like because we cater our live events. We do food and drinks, and I think if you're coming to one of our shows. It is so similar if I was inviting you, John, into my house. I'd want you to be well-fed and well-drank. And I was. And you were. (laughs) So there you go. (laughs) All right, friends. uh, You can catch all the questions that we've talked about. If you want to re-listen, you can just search the keywords in the Facebook group. Otherwise, we'll be back next week on My Millennial Money. Bye-bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 